Outliers in Education is brought to you by CEE, the Center for Educational Effectiveness. Better data, better decisions, better schools. To find out more, visit effectiveness.org. Everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. Be kind, always. That's a quote from the late Robin Williams. Today, we're gonna follow one educator's amazing journey along that road to kindness, where he learned how a new set of assumptions could help heal an entire school. That's next on Outliers in Education. That's what we're all about, in letting our kids be successful. If you wanna achieve something, then surround yourself with the people you want to become. Because kids are kids in small districts, rural districts, urban, kids are kids. Hi friends, Eric Price here, welcoming you to another episode of Outliers in Education. I first heard that Robin Williams quote I read at the top of the show from Superintendent Jim Kolkowski of the Davenport School District, one of the notable districts identified in the outlier study. It's powerful in the educational world because it rings every bit as true if you replace everyone you meet with every student or every teacher or even every administrator you meet. We all encounter adversity at various stages of our lives and careers. Today's guest has a story about just how helpful it can be to keep that fact in mind from the outset of every school day, as opposed to reacting with surprise every time an emotional difficulty or an emotional behavior arises from one of your students, staff, or even your coworkers. And of course, there's some educational terminology queued up to refer to this approach. And here to take a stab at what that might be is my oh-so-knowledgeable co-host, Mr. Eric Bowles. Bowles, can you help us out with that educational ease, please? Yes, I believe you're referring to what we call in the field as trauma-informed practice. Ding, ding, think- ding. Ten points, Bowles. All right. That's the most points I've ever gotten on a podcast. <laughs> well- When I think of trauma-informed practice, I'm a simple kind of man. And uh, so I think about three things. I think about we first need to acknowledge the prevalence of trauma in the people inside of the institutions where we serve. We next need to acknowledge the impact of that trauma, the trauma that folks bring to the table and and how that impacts other people inside of the system. Oftentimes when we're triggered by students as educators, it may be as a result of some traumatic experiences that we had in our lives. And then finally arming all folks with the strategies that they need uh, to best serve folks in a trauma-informed environment. So Bowles, when when we're talking about this trauma-informed piece, how does that relate to PBIS or social-emotional learning? Great question, EP. And when I look at the uh, collective age, maybe the mean age of the distinguished podcast host and guest, um, we're all roughly the same age, probably started teaching uh, sometime in the 1990s. And we didn't learn one stinking thing about behavior, behavior management, trauma-informed practice, what fits under this big umbrella that we call positive behavior interventions and supports, uh, or PBIS. And last uh, episode, we got to hear from Greg Benner talking about social emotional learning, again, acknowledging that body of strategies that we can bring to the table to really help bring out the best in our kids, regardless of what they may bring to the table. All right. Thank you. And some of those ideas are exactly what our next guest specializes in. Uh, we've got Dr. Corey Kalahar coming to us. He's, he's actually uh, just left his post as principal of Wenatchee's Westside High School. He's taken on a new role at the district office as the Assistant Executive Director of Teaching and Learning. Nice title, Corey. Congrats on the new position and welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. It's great to be here with you gentlemen and I'm excited to share a little bit of my learning. 
Both Bowles and I got to hear some of your story about the West Side journey, Corey. Could you kind of help us out with this quick overview? What was your journey like that you took as the principal of West Side? Oh, beautiful. I really see it um, as like two journeys in my mind. So one of the journeys was the journey that I was on uh, professionally and making my way intentionally to West Side High School. Um, as I'd just simply fallen in love with the student-centered approach and this whole idea around relational building. Um, and I knew I wanted to lead there. So that was that was one journey. But the other journey and the one that we're going to spend more time on is the journey that it took kind of to build our collective understanding and ground what we did at Westside with regard to care and compassion in brain research around trauma. And that's really the journey. Is Westside your typical high school? No, no, Westside, thank you for asking that. To clarify, Westside is um, probably not your typical alternative high school either, but um, it is a school that, in my experience, was always centered around uh, relationships and building strong care and compassion for uh, students. And so what I wanted to do is I really wanted to use that learning and grounded in brain research uh, and trauma to help build a common language with our staff and begin implementing programming that really made sense to support our students with themselves and their lives prior to engaging in our deep learning. So Corey, when you think back over your 10 years, um, clearly in this journey, a number of notable things happened. Can you talk us through three or four and give us a whopper of a story that led to some catalytic change? Absolutely, yeah, so um, in the beginning, we started working on our systemic intervention protocol because what had existed previously, the staff was, was not super excited about continuing and they were ready to just scrap it. And so we started working on that journey, like what, what happens in the foundational layer? What's tier one, tier two, tier three? Um, and taking away the deficit language and fear that it was kind of based on. And then we're also revamping this archaic mental health referral process for like, we have got to do something better for our students because when we make these mental health referrals, they're not getting the right help that they need. And we are passionate about changing that. And that really was the catalyst for getting us started um, and reaching out to other schools about uh, school-based health centers, um, what's working in the world of mental health. Um, and that led us to Lincoln High School. And uh, that really started our collective learning journey and learning about ACEs learning about uh, teaching brain science, how resilience trumps ACEs, what is toxic stress, all of these things, and ultimately how does trauma impact the brain and the brain's development. So Corey, when I started teaching ACEs, uh, I would have thought it was four cards in a deck. Can you, can you give us a little primer? Absolutely, yeah. So adverse uh, childhood experiences, so there's, uh, there's a variety of adverse childhood experiences that uh, 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 someone can experience. So abuse, whether that's physical, emotional, sexual abuse, neglect, household fa factors like mental illness, dependency, incarceration. Um, and then it goes a little bit deeper, like understanding complex trauma, situational trauma, community trauma, generational trauma, in utero trauma, you name it. And uh it just, it just becomes very uh, detail-oriented, and how it affects students in learning is huge. And that was, we had never heard of it. Like, just like you said, when we went through our educational courses, 
we didn't get much on SEL and PBIS or some of these behavior uh, processes. We didn't get anything on ACEs. Like what was ACEs when you're going to college in the 90s, right? So that really helped us understand the direction on where we wanted to go. So Corey, has your uh, perspective about you know what ACEs is and how you deal with that knowledge about students and their ACEs, has that changed as you've gone through some of your journey? Absolutely. Yeah. And thanks for asking that too, because uh, we've learned a lot uh, in this journey and we've learned what to do and maybe what not to do. And so when we first learned about the, the ACEs survey, we're like, oh my gosh, we have to find out if our students have ACEs. Well, and then we're looking around like, we know they have ACEs, but let's, we got to find this out. So how do we quantify? And so we started literally giving the ACEs surveys uh, to students um, and getting kind of a baseline score, trying to figure out what we're working with. And then we realized we, we may be re-traumatizing these students by doing this process. Like they're having a neural downshift as they're going through this and reliving these experiences in their mind. Like what a horrible thing to do. Oh my gosh. Just by, just by giving them the survey. Correct. Yeah. And then, uh, and then so we had this, it, 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 it's not brain science, but uh, we, we really had this idea of like, why are we doing this? This is ridiculous. We're just going to assume and understand that all of our students bring something to the table that we need to help support them through on, an, on a daily basis, every single day, every hour we get to see, uh, see them and help them. And so we really just said, we're going to take a school approach. These are trauma-informed practices, our best practices, just like GLAD strategies or engagement strategies. These are best practices. So why don't we take these tools and just implement them across the board? And Corey, how did that change things for students on the whole? And maybe can you share how that may have changed things for a student in specific? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think it took, well, for students on a whole, it, cha it changed the culture of the building and, and, and not changed it. I would say it just pushed it forward because as I mentioned, the culture of the building was good. It was built solid on relationships. It's built on care and compassion. Um, honestly, taking care of the student before the, the learning can happen. So that was good, but it pushed us forward and it really made us intentional about our processes and making sure that every student first and foremost was welcomed, appreciated, and honored for their, the uniqueness that they brought to the table. Um, and a specific student uh, that I've shared in the past is, um, is Eric. And uh, Eric came to Westside as a ninth grader. Appropriate uh, name, by the way, Corey. I know. Yeah, we like that a lot. Coach. Nice one. Like that just, that, I mean, it's not just coincidental. It really happened. It's, it's, it's good. Um, and, and, and like both of you, he was immature. Um, and, uh, and he- 100%, this guy gets 10 points, Bulls. He, uh, wow, I give him 11. He, he lacked, he lacked some intrinsic motivation to really do much of anything. Um, and, but, but here's the thing about Eric is he, he was performing so poorly that we literally switched him from our normal ninth grade programming to something else. And he was just like, this is not working. But what we did is we let him know why we were doing that. And it wasn't because we didn't care about him. And it wasn't because we didn't support him. It was because he needed to help us understand what he needed and together we were going to partner with it. Um, so we just began to care and nurture this young man um, and find out his story. And it turned out that he was living with his grandfather, who he absolutely adored. Um, and he was living with his, his grandpa because mom was addicted to drugs and, and dad was in prison, right? Um, and instead of going to the foster system like his sisters did, um, he stayed with grandpa. Um, 
The problem was grandpa passed away between ninth and 10th grade years. So again, where he's experiencing this trauma and just trying to find ways to cope with it. And so he reached out to his school in the middle of summer, which was great. Um, and, uh, and we wrapped around him again and got to learn more about him and kind of create this compassionate scaffolding for him. Um, and then he moved into uh, what we call the Women's Resource Center here in Wenatchee, kind of a shelter uh, with his grandma. Um, and they were ultimately kicked out of there uh, due to uh, drug use and a whole bunch of different things. Like all signs were pointing to this young man to start using and self-medicating on his own. And I just, I really feel like his school community and his school family helped save him from that. And just maybe his own internal resilience, whatever he had experienced had built him, strengthened him enough to stay away from this. So we just continued to wrap around him and encourage him. And he would come in, he would visit all of the teachers in the building every day to get that piece of encouragement, whether it was a high five, a hug, or a just, you know, you matter type uh, sentiment that we were given to him. And uh, he really, he really started to grow. He started to really uh, process what had happened to him, learn and, uh, and turn on the academics. And he ended up graduating, uh, you know, a quarter early than his uh, four-year graduation date. Um, his He ended up moving in with his pastor, his youth pastor. I mean, just a great story of how uh, a trauma-informed school and resiliency practices can help leverage, um, you know, a student whose path was written for him already. And, and your staff knew some of those pieces about some of the difficulties he was experiencing, and they started to kind of get those wraparound services for him? Absolutely. So one of the things that we do uh, at Westside uh, during our collaboration time is we literally collaborate as an entire staff, not in the traditional sense. So we don't bring uh, common formative assessments to the table and kind of talk about how students do in the academics, but it's like, where are they right now? And what kind of uh, emotional uh, support do they need from our building and our staff? So we do make time to do the actual PLC uh, learning and supporting our students where they are in grade level academics. But during our Monday morning time, we really focus on where our students right now and who needs us to you know, really survive the next week. And we can then triangulate and focus our attention that way. So I've got a lot of questions, but, but that brings up this idea of this trauma-informed process. Um, I remember you talking about going through a certification, a trauma-informed certification process. What was that like? Would you would you say that's a good process for others to go through? It, it was it was a great process. Um, and looking back retrospectively, I had no idea we were going to engage in that at the beginning, because when we visited uh, Lincoln High School, we came away knowing that we wanted to connect with the what is now the Community Resilience Initiative in Walla Walla. We're like, okay, we need to learn about ACEs. We need to learn about brain research and put that informational knowledge into a class that we have called the Foundations course, which really helps students learn about themselves. Um, so we did what we called ACEs 101. And, uh, and the founder and uh, I think director of CRI, Terry is her name, and she came to Westside and really gave us like a, a college 101 course on ACEs and trauma and toxic stress. That was super cool. Um, wouldn't have known that that would have led us to the trauma certification process four or five years later. Um, but it did. And, and it just ended up that as you add new staff members, you add new team members and you have to like re-engage re the learning and the knowledge. Because I'd have staff members that are like, I don't know what you're talking about. You're using a language that 
I don't have. And so we would have to continuously retrain um, in that trauma supportive lens. Um, and it was, it was super cool. There's three different levels of trauma certification. Um, one is uh, trauma informed, which is the first tier. The second tier is trauma supportive. Um, and that's where you start really transforming your school and then trauma practitioners. And that's where every classroom, the entire school and the culture revolves around uh, this trauma-informed uh, certification process. And, and I would not say that Westside High School is there. We've gone through the first two tiers and there's still work to be done, but man, it's a great place to be. I was just there today and uh, just getting some juice as I was walking through and it just radiates love. And there's nothing better in my mind. So Corey, I'm gonna put my uh, tax protester hat on, community watchdog. Uh, and this dovetails with our work here at the Center for Educational Effectiveness. Uh, obviously, Westside High School wasn't a school that we surfaced in our outlier study. Uh, lots of publicly available data on school performance out there. So if, I, if I'm walking down the street, I run into you in Wenatchee, Washington, I say, wait a minute, why do we need your school? Uh, how do you even define success in a school with a low graduation rate? Uh, what, you know, justify it for us. Excellent. Thank you for that question because it, it is one that that we get or are used to get quite a bit. Um, and I would say my my quick answer is students come back because they want to. Um, and and that's the quick answer. And you can kind of unpack that with this idea that many of the students that come to Westside High School have struggled in one way or another in life and especially in school. And so if we can get them to connect uh, with our staff members and with our culture and our building and get them to want to come back, that is all we need to quantify success at Westside High School. Um, and lots of layers in there. Um, and one of the, this is the strange thing about Westside. When we talk about, uh, you know, punitive consequences and things like that, we really try to avoid those at all costs. I mean, we look at like a conversation with an adult, that is all the consequence we need. Let's work through this together. Let's restore, let's get back to work and we can continue to love on one another. It's perfect. Um, but one of, the, one of the places when we talk about, uh, you know, interventions with regard to school, like our tier three, our last level of intervention is like, well, maybe Westside is just not the place for you. And it's like, oh no, it's, it's the place for me. Let's not talk that. Um, I'll, I'll do what you need to do. I mean, but you, they you just don't, don't want to leave. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and we don't want to get to that conversation either. That's not a fun place to get to, but, um, sometimes even a learning environment, uh, such as Westside is not the answer for everyone. So I'm hearing you talk about how, uh, you know, you're not punitive. And, and so all of us have had experiences with some educators that might kind of uh, chomp a little bit on that one. Like, hey, hey, wait a minute, you know, you're not doing what you should be doing. Um, talk a little bit about how, how has Westside changed from when you first came there to kind of where it is today? I think because of our journey, um, Westside has been and is still one of the most accepting and understanding places on the planet in my mind. Um, they come, students come to us, they're searching for a lot of things. They, they, and what they find is they find a school family, they find acceptance, uh, support. Most importantly, they find themselves, honestly, Eric. Um, and the staff there is really what makes the difference. Uh, the staff is the most generous and caring group of adults that are in the right place for the right reason. 
um, that I've ever known. So um, I think. And, and just in that staff piece, Corey, yeah. was that a bit of a transition for some folks to kind of make? Yes. Yeah, I think it is. Um, when I first started there, it's it's just grown uh, and 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 shaped a lot. When I first started there, I would have to literally go recruit people to apply. It's like come to Westside, and <laughs> and uh, and people would look at me. They're like, "Oh, so you're moving to Westside? What'd you do? You know, did you get in trouble?" <laughs> um, I was like, "No, man. This is the place. This is the place to be." And so over the course of those ten years, um, the last position I was fortunate enough to hire was an English language arts position where we had 19 really highly qualified applicants. Um, and we got to choose kind of from the cream of the crop of North Central Washington. So it felt really good. But what I would say has changed is uh, is not the care, not the compassion, um, and not the relationships, but the structure in how to respond to student behavior has shifted from it's not a behavior directed at us. It is a form of communication, and the students are telling us they need more love. So, so I'm going to put words in your mouth here of what I'm hearing, but like it, that, the adults always cared and loved for kids, but the way in which you structured that and the way it worked out was a bit different in, in the 10 years. Yes, I think that we have found that um, our student population, although they need tons of compassion and care, they also need boundaries. And they also need processes, and they also really respond to systems. And uh, so, w when I got there, I have used the term. It was kind of like the wild, wild west of alternative schools. Um, kids were coming and going all day long, and most of the time, we didn't know where they were going. Uh, so, just kind of building in those structural and systemic pieces has really helped us be more of a family and a school at the same time. So, Corey, I'm going to just ask you to uh, put yourself back uh, 10 years now. And now you've got some folks that are like, hey, this sounds really good. I, I, I like this trauma-informed practice. Um, you've got uh, maybe a newbie administrator, uh, maybe an administrator that's been there for a while and really wants to change the way in which they care for kids. Um, wh what advice would you give them about going along some of those changes? I, I think my advice is um, honestly how how to lead with your heart um, in a lot of ways uh, for students to kind of understand where we're coming from because it's just like I, I liken it to to building classroom relationships, um, but you're building that you're building those relationships on a more global level. Like your involvement with the students has to be from a po a place of vulnerability. It has to be from a place where students can hear who you are as a person and they can learn and understand you as that building leader. And I really think that, um, and that's hard, harder in different places. Like when we think of, um, you know, a, a 2000 student comprehensive high school, like that is a challenging thing to really make happen. And that's part of the uniqueness of Westside High School. But that would really be my lens is like lead from your heart, not always from our brain or from the academic side of things. Those are important and we can get there. But honestly, we have to have uh, trust and respect for one another uh, before we can actually get to those deep levels of learning, especially when our students are dealing with everything that life brings, right? Like anxieties and, um, you know, just a, a lack of uh, trust with adults and lack of consistency, all of those and I things. I imagine COVID has really helped with all that stability. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> it's just, 
oh, if we could take what stability we had and then just, you know, change it uh, 180 degrees. But uh, we're getting back. And uh, um, I think what helped us through COVID was the foundation that we were able to build with our students before things really went sideways. Well, Dr. Kalhar, I, I want you to know that we have all learned a ton. So uh, thank you for uh, imparting some of your thinking. And now I'm going to flip to uh, Mr. Bowles' superpower of recapping. Bowles, what do you have when you nutshell it for us today? Well, my recap is going to sound like a Nero downshift. So that was one of the big things I took away. Those two words, I was like, man, Corey has finally defined what, what is going on in this, in this brain. Um, on, a, on a more serious note, hear an awful lot of what would be good practice at any school, uh, relational base first. Um, we know that relationships are everything inside of the school environment. We know that from, from kind of multiple lenses. Um, love how levered ACEs into trauma-informed work and really built a school that has boundaries, processes, and systems. I mean, help, I, coming away with this, this isn't in some sort of uh, willy-nilly thing, I think really critical. Um, important to explain to community members that saving each child we can, uh, getting them through the finish line that is high school, uh, makes an incredible impact, not only on their lives, but on our lives in general. So it's work absolutely worth doing. Again, like we heard in Dr. Benner's presentation, podcast, rather, um, Behavior is a form of communication and not taking that personally. Understanding, as one of my mentors, Flint Simonson, in this field says, that it's every person's best attempt to navigate the situation they're in at the time. Um, something that I really took to heart, I think, helped me grow as an educator. Um, and then finally, in the immortal words of Flea, uh, all, all emotions really boil down to two, love or fear. And we know that Corey Kalahar is not coming from a place of fear. He's coming from a place of love. Thank you, brother. Thank you. That was that great. That is awesome. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's so hard sometimes to get out of some of those ingrained ways of thinking. So Dr. Corey Kalahar, thank you for being with us uh, here today. We wish that you have all the success, that you can change all the stuff that you change with kids. Do it at the district office, baby. We Good luck to you, my man. Thank and you. again, thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you. It was, it, was a, it was a joy. I appreciate it. And thanks to you, our listeners, for taking today's journey with us on Outliers in Education. Remember, you can listen to this episode and more wherever you download your favorite podcast. To find out more, visit effectiveness.org. If you'd like to find out how to gather the data you need to help drive positive change in your school or district, take a moment to visit CEE, the Center for Educational Effectiveness, at effectiveness.org. Better data, better decisions, better schools. Effectiveness.org.